0: If you have your Bible today, uh, if you'll turn with me to Proverbs 22.6, God bless the mothers is the title of my uh, sermon today from the King James. Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he's old, he shall not depart from it. That's a very, very important text for our day. Because children, of course, all across our country are making major decisions about what kind of people they're going to be, what they're going to do, what they're going to become. And we need, as Christian people, to be helping and training them. A little boy was talking to the girl down the street, and he was all disturbed. He said, I don't have any money, but I want to uh, get my mother something for Mother's Day. And the little girl looked at him and said, well, you could make a promise to her that you're going to clean up your room every night. And if you don't want to do that, you could make a promise to her that for this whole year, you're going to brush your teeth after every meal. Or you could promise to her that you're not going to fight with your brothers all the time like you usually do. He looked at her and he said, No, I'm thinking about something practical. (laughs) (laughs) Well, when is a child a child? You know, the scripture says, uh, uh, train up a child. Well, when is a, a person a child? Once there uh, was on ABC television, the show 2020, uh, they had featured three little girls. Each one of them was a bona fide genius. They were all from the same family. They were sisters. They interviewed not only the little girls, but also the parents. They asked the parents, what did you do to contribute to the brilliance Of your three girls. The mother said, Well, we read to our daughters when they were little, and we talked to them about important things, and we played fine music for them during the last four months of pregnancy for each one of them. The mother said, I really felt like my daughters could hear me in the womb, and so I read to them. Interesting literature and I kept the surroundings calm. I didn't want to disturb them. The mother said that all three girls had just done so well all of their lives. They were well adjusted and of course they were all brilliant. There is a growing body of research in America today that there is a validity to the learning and teachability of a child while that child is still in the womb. The scripture says, train up a child. Well, what is training? A lot of us assume that uh, training essentially means education. And so we say to ourselves, well, that's what schools are for. Schools are supposed to educate them. That's their job. That's what uh, we pay them to do. And when a parent thinks that, of course, that is a tragic, tragic mistake. Research at two of our state universities deals with children under the age of two who attempt to lock eyes with their parents. Everyone that's been around small children I'm sure, uh, has had that experience. You look around, and the child is looking right at you. And you look back. With two sets of eyes looking at each other, there is a bond that is formed. Did you know that the refusal to lock eyes with a child has been shown to be very, very discouraging to the child? The child interprets your refusal to lock eyes with them as a rejection, and it hurts the child very much. Dr. Ross Campbell, a well-publicized psychiatrist who has done a lot of uh, writing in this area, has confirmed that the return look to a child means to the child, I love you, I accept you, and I mean for you well. Refusal to lock eyes with a child indicates to them, I don't love you, and I don't accept you, and I don't intend for you good things. In Iran, the children that are in orphanages almost every time stay in orphanages. Because culturally, parents in Iran don't like to adopt children. They just don't do it. Most of the children left in orphanages grow up with a low mental ability. There was an experiment that they did uh, in Iran, and they've written a lot of stuff about it. Uh, In one orphanage, they hired extra people so that every child in that orphanage would have someone that would relate to them personally and lovingly and in an interested fashion every day and a number of times through the day. Well, they extended to them this personal love. By the time the kids were eight years old, the mental ability of the children in that specific orphanage was as high as those who did not live in orphanages. The scripture says, train up a child, show interest in them, love them, care for them, mentor them, Uh, try and help them uh, gravitate toward great ideas and great examples. Well, how do we do that today? Well, we show each child, of course, a lot of love and a lot of attention. We custom tailor our treatment to that individual personality, that child. Every child is different, and every child needs something different from you. Van Kleiburn came to the attention of the world when there was a competition in Russia many years ago They called in the best pianist from all over the world to come and play. And Van Clyburn won that. And so he was internationally famous. Uh, All of a sudden, his mother saw some musical ability in him when he was a real little, little child. From the age of three, I don't know if you've ever read a book about him, but from the age of three, his mother trained him every day for two or three hours on the piano from the time he was three years old. He was equipped, he was encouraged, and he had a goal in his life, of course, to be a concert pianist, and he reached that goal. That's exactly what he became. Some said the greatest piano player in the world. He was trained early, and he was trained well by a mother who loved him with all of her heart. Some said that Van Cliburn was always technically great. No question about that. He hit the right notes with the right timing and with the right force and all of that. But they said that his music lacked uh, some uh, passion. You know, he just hit the right nose. It didn't seem like there was a lot of passion there. Did you know that uh, midway through his life, he became a Christian? The critics didn't know that, and of course, they didn't care about it. That didn't have anything to do with them. But after that, his music was even greater. He no longer was just a piano player who did well. He did that which his mother had taught him, and he did it to the very best of his ability. But now, since he was a Christian, he was using that talent for the Lord, and it added some extra pizzazz to what he was about. Most parents think of training a child for a profession, for a career. My folks, uh, from the time I was just a little kid, Uh, told me that I ought to go to school and learn everything I could. And they pushed me in school. I was a lot more interested in sports, but they wanted me to really knuckle in with the uh, academics, and that was kind of an ongoing issue. Uh, I went to Baylor, and uh, I was elected president of the freshman class at Baylor. And I called home very excitedly to tell my parents about that. And my dad cussed me out. He said, we didn't send you out there to be president of the freshman class. We sent you out there to study. I mean, he really let me have it. Just cussed me out. And uh, I thought, well, you know, that's not good. But that was the key. They thought education was the key to everything. Uh, Most parents want their children to gain status, either through education or beauty or brains or, you know, whatever. Most parents want their children to be able to push and shove with everybody else in the world. Is that the kind of training that this verse is talking about? It's not, is it? This verse is talking about the developing of a thirst for the things of God in our children. That's what it's talking about. Now, I love barbecued pork. I really do. I just love it. I've loved it all my life. I love to eat it. When I have barbecued pork, I want to have a Coke with it. I don't want milk, I don't want tea, I don't want water, I want a Coke. Coke and barbecued pork, they go together. I developed a thirst for that. That's what I wanted. In a lot of homes across our land, there are, as you know, millions of mothers that have children and they're training those children for one thing or another, in a lot of those homes, there are Bibles and there are prayers and there are even maybe some spiritual things that are done. But so many of the children just put up with those things in the home. They really have not developed a thirst for it themselves. I believe the greatest challenge in the world today for our mothers, our grandmothers, our great-grandmothers, is to train up our children with a thirst for spiritual things. That's important. That's really, really important. And that's very hard to do. What are we teaching our children about the priorities of life? Is T-ball the most important thing? Over the past uh, 20 years, I know a lot of uh, fathers and mothers that have never missed a T-ball game that their uh, kid was in. Never missed one of them. That was, you know, that was important. That was really important. Are, are dancing classes the most important thing? You know, I, I know a lot of folks that have never missed a performance uh, that their child made. That was that was big star bite on the calendar. That was the most important thing, be there for that uh, dance uh, uh, recital or whatever. Some folks in America today, some mothers, some fathers, think that getting an A in math is the most important thing that their child could possibly do. It's easy for a Christian family to mistakenly teach their children the values of this secular world. That's very, very easy to do. It is one thing to teach a child to be a law-abiding student, a law-abiding person. And of course, we're all for that. But another thing to teach them, is to have a thirst for the things of God. It's one thing to teach a child to have good table manners. Don't you just hate it when kids grew up learning to eat like hogs? My wife uh, ran a children's home for uh, a long time, and some of the girls would come to uh, her home that she ran from homes uh, where the parents were doctors or lawyers or merchants or chiefs, and the kid ate like like an animal. They would almost get their face down to the edge of the table and kind of rake, I mean, just like animals. And you wonder, what in the world are those parents thinking? Are they insane? Do they not see what this child is doing? Well, we need to teach good Table manners, that's for sure. But another thing is to customize their spiritual development as they pattern their lives on you. There are so many things in our world that are so superficial. There are a lot of non-Christian homes where children are taught to do the right thing, they think. And what they're really doing is they are teaching them the cultural morality of our day. In case you haven't checked lately, the cultural morality of our day is almost non-existent. There are, almost, almost aren't any morals in our world today. How different it is when we teach our children the things of God and to have a thirst for the things of God. If we taught our children to have a great thirst for God and the things of God, when they went away to college, they wouldn't stop going to church. I pastored a a big church uh, a number of years ago. One of the things that we realized, you know, we would have these kids in the church for a long time and they would You know, be in the youth group and be in the youth choir and they would lead in uh, campus Bible studies and things like that at their high school. And then they'd go to college and they quit going to church. And we would always wonder, why in the world did they do that? We trained them, we taught them, we prayed for them, we did all these things. You know, if they were thirsty for the things of God, when they started dating, they wouldn't date ungodly people. When they finally would have to come up with some kind of a business ethic when they got a job, they would come up with Christian ethics that they had learned because of the tutelage of their mother and their father. Do you know what is not fair? It's not fair to expect a child who has never been taught to thirst after the things of God to just all of a sudden turn into being a spiritual giant. It just, it just doesn't happen that way. Never has, never will. It just doesn't happen that way. They can't do it, and they, they fail. In the eyes of of those, of course, that are Christians. The next phase in our verse says, in the way he should go. Well, what way should he go? Career counselors are supposed to do that, aren't they? We, you know, that's what their job is. They're to help them get in the right career. They take them into their office, and they give them some tests, and they have an interview with them, and they find out what they're interested in and what abilities they have and what areas of school they've done well. And so really the, the counselors and the uh, career uh, counselors that uh, reach out to help, they do all that training, and then the child goes in the way that he should go. Is that right? No, that's not right. That isn't what happened. Can the public education system take this responsibility? No. They can help, but they certainly shouldn't have the total responsibility. Can our country do it? No. No, I don't think so. Strangely enough, we give a Pledge of Allegiance uh, at various events, that says basically that we're one nation under God. We hire a chaplain for the United States Senate to open each session of the Senate in the name of God. We hire a chaplain in the House of Representatives to open each session when the House is meeting in the name of God. And yet we have separation of church and state. That point of view has prevailed in the public school system for a long time. No mixing of Jesus and academics. Of course, we have some wonderful teachers who are Christians who give a witness through the things that they do and how they do it. And maybe in one-on-one conversations, they do give a witness for their Lord. Did you know that the Gideons can't give out Bibles in some counties in Florida? Did you know that? A few years ago in Polk County, they made a ruling that you you couldn't do it in Polk County, where Lakeland is. In most Christian schools, there's not the money to provide the same quality of education that the public schools have. The Christian schools might have real dedicated, consecrated uh, administrative people and teachers and staff and all of that, but they don't have the money for fancy computers and for football stadiums and for laboratory equipment that the public schools do. Well, what's the answer? What's the answer, mothers, for training up a child in the way they should go? Well, I don't know if it begins with locking eyes with them and letting them know that you love them and you support them and you affirm them day by day or or whether that first thing is to show that individualized attention and teaching uh, methodology that you would use that would lead them to a closer walk with our Lord. We obviously want to give personalized Christian training in the home. That is so important. We need to train them to thirst after the things of God. Even if we do that. You know, there's a chance that when they grow old, they will depart from it. We hope that this verse is true in every child that we have. That even when he's old, he would not depart from it. I would like everybody here this morning to think back in your life to when you were a kid, when you were 8, 9, 10, 11, 12 years old. Think think back with me for just a moment to that time in your life. Was there somebody back then that singled you out other than your mom and dad that had real uh, attention given to you? that loved you, and you knew it. And they maybe trained you in something. Maybe it was a coach or a teacher. Maybe it was a uh, counselor. You know, maybe it was somebody that lived in the neighborhood, an uncle, an aunt, somebody, somebody. There was a person back there who took time for you. I had somebody like that. He was the youth minister at our church. His name was Rock Blankenship. And he took special time for me. I didn't come from a Christian family, and he knew that. And so he kind of stood in. I never will forget uh, one night at church when the pastor said that he wanted all the children to come up and he wanted all their parents to come and stand behind them. And I knew, of course, that my parents weren't there. There wouldn't be anybody standing behind me. In rock blankenship, walked up and stood behind me. I've never forgotten that. You know, it was a special time uh, for me. He had time for me. He taught me about some things, about the ways of God. He helped me a lot. He put a thirst in me, not just for barbecued pork, but uh, for things of God. Again and again, I would go to him, and I would ask him questions, and he taught me in such a way that I wanted to learn more about spiritual things. Do any children or grandchildren or great-grandchildren come to you men that are here today for wisdom, for counsel, for understanding, I'm sure they do, and, of course, we can say, well, I'm busy right now. You know, I don't, I don't have time for that. I'm sorry, I'm busy right now. Mothers, are, are there any children, grandchildren, great-grandchildren that come to you, maybe when they're just at your house for a visit, and they, they come to you wanting to pick your brain a little bit, to know really what you think, after all their lives being sort of tangentially related to you, but but not really real, real close. And they come and they, they want to know what you think about some particular thing. As Christians, we have such a wonderful, wonderful opportunity in times like that to train up our children in the ways that they should go. Not just fill them with facts. You know, facts are a wonderful thing to know, but they're not the most important thing. To put a a thirst in them for the things of God, that's really important. Will Rogers said, this is a quote, There is nothing as stupid as an educated man when he gets off what he's educated in. Don't you love that? I've seen that to be true (laughs) a number of times. The tragedy in our country is just how few children are trained to really have a thirst for the things of God. Well, this morning, I want to say, of course, to our mothers that are here, how much we appreciate you and how much we treasure you for taking years and years and years of your life and planning in your children spiritual truths and spiritual uh, ideas We appreciate your patience, your customized love. Please stay at it. You know, I went to my dad when I was a grown man, and I asked him for some ideas on certain things. I don't think our teaching roles really ever stop. You know, if your kid is 70 years old, they might come to you and say, what about this, Dad? What, what do you think? What about this, Mom? What, what do you think about this? And you have a teaching opportunity. If women felt genuinely respected in their roles as wives and mothers, they would just glory in it and just love it. Because that is a responsibility that we believe God has given to you. Our our children, our little girls, we need to train them to be and to have the status granted to them by their creator. And their femininity would be as valued as their greatest asset. Without question, the future of our nation and of every nation depends on how it sees its women. And I hope the little girls will be glad that they have been chosen by God for that special role of being a godly Christian mother. Well, as always, we come to the end uh, of the service. And when we come to the end in our church we ask if there's anybody that would like to make a spiritual decision. Uh, we always do that because we think that there might be someone that's been thinking about it, been praying about it, and they come to the point where they want to do something about it. And we always hope that that today is that day. So if you're here, maybe you're a mother and and you really want Uh, to have some kind of an opportunity to take a stand for the Lord. We want to give you that opportunity and to help you to do that. If you're in the service today and you would like to come and trust in Christ as your Lord and Savior, we'd want you to do that. If you're here and you'd like to come and join with our church, you'd like to be a part of a Bible-believing, teaching, preaching church, we'd love to have you. The doors of the church are wide open. I'll be standing down here at the front. If the Lord leads, you just slip out and come to the front. Take a stand for the risen Savior. Let's stand together as we sing.